Beer Mile Nation. This is our first remote podcast. Welcome back, first of all. We've got, well, at least I've got, because I'm sitting in the beautiful mountains, I've got some local beer from the Dillon Dam Brewery in Dillon, Colorado. Got a tropical Hefeweizen. I know Adam is a little jealous over there. Uh, we've got, yeah, we've got big Chris Chad Robertson, Colorado Chad, and uh, poor cuck boy Adam <laughs> just sitting in his parents' house. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, even Adam has a <laughs> tropical background. He's trying to outdo me. He thinks that he can with the beach theme. He's, you know, it's the classical debate, beaches versus mountains. I'm a mountain guy. Adam's trying to say that maybe maybe he's a beach guy uh, and the beaches see, are better. I think I, think I would definitely be... Uh, if there's ever like a lake next to a mountain, that's ideal. Like I don't really care about being on a coast. I just like hearing the sound of, of waves and the tide coming in. But I, I think generally I'm more of a mountain person. The beach is very peaceful, for sure, the waves. But you can't really beat this beautiful mountain air. Nice and dry, no humidity like you have back have you in Chicago right now. Yet? No, no nosebleeds. I'm sure it'll happen, though. It usually does uh, within the first few days of being in a dry place. But I'm not as susceptible as you are. Yeah, wake up in the morning, just like snot rocket out a chunk of blood. That's how oh. you start your days. Bruh. Today on the show... Jake Riley, if you follow the sport of running at all, uh, you would definitely know Jake Riley's name from making the Olympic team in the U.S. for the marathon. He was second place at the trials behind Galen Rupp. And a lot of people going into the Olympic trials probably had no idea who Jake Riley was, didn't expect him to do well. Um, if you look back in 2019 at the Chicago Marathon, he had a breakthrough race, ran 210 there. And so that's really his was this coming out into the marathon scene. So based on that time, he was definitely in the talks of someone who was a contender for that second and third spot. You know, a lot of people ruling Galen Rupp is the person who is probably going to win the Olympic trials. But yeah, I don't know. Jake Riley, a little bit of a surprise to, to many at the Olympic trials, busting out that second place finish. And, and actually made up time over the last few K, I think. Um, I think over the, like the last 5K, he, maybe it was even over the last less than that 3k that he that he made up 12 seconds on on galen so actually like a really fantastic we talk about it uh in the podcast uh interview with jake just about his racing strategy um and and going into the 2020 asterisk olympics how he's gonna race that so i think it's an interesting conversation um uh i, I always find it interesting the, the more that we do this um the frequency of runners professional athletes uh that enjoy doing something outside of pro running mm -hmm. uh, so we talked to jake about tutoring spending time uh working in a warehouse um and pretty much doing everything he can to i don't i don't he, he phrases it really really well um so I, I won't I won't butcher his words. Yeah, Jake's story is great because he is someone who truly has the passion for running and does it because he loves it and is getting something out of it, not just for the money aspect. You know, going from going through three years of Achilles injuries, uh, probably you know at that point, honestly, I I kind of stopped you know knowing his name, stopped following him. He said a lot of his PRs on the track and in the half marathon in 2012, 2013, 24. That was where a lot of his success came in the late 20 teens. Uh, didn't really hear from him a lot until he busted out on the Chicago Marathon scene in 2019. So, yeah, his story of getting or to moving from Michigan to Boulder, uh, you know, leaving the Hanson's Brooks team, going unsponsored into the Olympic trials and then signing with on after the Olympic trials. We get into all of that. We get into his uh, goals for the Olympic 
Olympics themselves. And then we have a little fun at the end as well, talking about him and his Stanford boys, uh, Chris Derrick, Brendan Gregg, Garrett Heath, uh, you know, who's who's more likely to, such as who's more likely to, you know, wake up in jail. We, we get into that later on in the episode as well. So um, one, one thing I'll call out here is apologies if any of the audio sounds a little off. Um, I think it's going to be okay, but there were a couple places where Jake was having some internet issues. We switched from Wi-Fi to mobile and uh, there might be some places where it's noticeable. The audio quality kind of shifts a little bit. We're going to try to get rid of some of those areas, but just calling that out in advance that if there are places where the quality uh, sounds a little bad, it gets better uh, as as his internet just fluctuates in and out. (laughs) Uh, Last thing to call out about Jake Riley here is that this was a recommendation from Mark Ryman. Shout out to Mark Ryman uh, for sending us a payment on Venmo at Beer Mile. That is our new found way, our new groundbreaking idea as of two podcast episodes ago, or maybe just one episode ago, where we said, or no, maybe it was two ago already. Man, time flies. Uh, Yeah, it was two. Two ago, where we said, if you send us money on Venmo, we will redirect that to a guest and we'll prioritize getting those guests on. And so Mark Ryman... Uh, we reached out to Jake Riley right after you sent that payment on Venmo and we, you know, asked him to come on and he was gracious enough to do it, especially training uh, in the thick of it for his Olympic Games appearance. So, Mark, shout out to you for supporting the podcast and for helping us uh, bring on Jake Riley. So if you want to do that, if you want to recommend a guest to bring on, hit us up on Venmo. Well, Mark hooked us up with uh, $50. Fuck yeah. Sorry. $48.95 after the uh, Venmo transaction fee. So, Oh, that's a write-off anyway. So That's a that's a write-off. Hopefully, Mark, hopefully you're writing that off as well. Everyone writes it off, uh, and then the government just pays us for it. It's basically free to us if everyone writes it off. So, Jake Riley, make sure you're also writing off uh, your time on the Beer Mile podcast. You know, I think you're worth $200 an hour. Make sure you're writing off your time as an independent contractor, $200 an hour. And then everyone... This, this podcast is really just supported by the government at the end of the day. Because <laughs> it's all right off. Also, we would just love for you to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to be entered in to get free give, uh, free swag from BeerMile.com as a giveaway every episode, just five-star review on Apple Podcasts or just share us on your Insta story. And we, we love to hear from y'all and love the support. Really appreciate everything that you guys are doing to help us keep this thing going. Okay, so stick around for the outro. We'll do a quick beer review. Uh, I guess the other quick... I don't know, update, plug, whatever it is. We're going to have some kind of goofy ass videos coming out here shortly. Uh, We got a video about, you know, a parody of what a runner eats in a day, but it's what a beer runner eats in a day, I guess a beer miler or whatever you want to call it. So it just, you know, it's a little, little comedy sketch, I guess you could say a little skit. um, But but if you like it, you know, that there's a ton of more videos that we, we could release, but only if you like it. We have a lot of video ideas that are just, kind of yeah the, the parodies or the skits i would say along the same yeah. lines yeah so if you like that let us know and we'll we'll make that more of a priority um we certainly have no shortage of ideas for those absolutely so make sure you're subscribed on beer mile media on youtube we got that coming out and then i'll have now i'm in colorado gonna be here for the summer so going to have a lot of videos coming out uh with some good old mountain running footage and who knows what else so stick around for or stick around that's not really the right word so check out the youtubes for some content that's not the podcast if you're so inclined there you go all right i'm gonna go run and grab a beer all right you grab a beer and while you're doing that we're gonna kick off this conversation with jake riley jake riley welcome to the beer mile podcast and you were actually 
you've been requested as a guest by several folks and one person, uh, Mark Ryman, shout out to Mark. He actually paid us as a way to incentivize us to try to get you to come on. And so here you are. Uh, Thank you so much for responding and especially great timing leading into the Olympics. And we're going to hear a little bit about how your training is going, how the preparation is going for that. So yeah, how, how do you feel that one of our guests likes you so much and wanted you on so much that they were willing to pay money to have you join us? <laughs> well, I, I coached him, so I hope he was, would be paying. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's the same Mark Ryman. Um, yeah, I, I did is. a little assistant coaching at uh, Troy High School in Michigan. And um, yeah, he was, I mean, I wasn't the head or anything like that, but yeah, what's up, Mark? Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I like it. It's, uh, you know, I have uh, making the Olympic team, you know, I'm not Abdi, I'm not Galen. I didn't have like this enormous fan base beforehand. So like, it has certainly changed the way I'm perceived. Like every once in a while in Boulder, like I get recognized on trails or like at the bus station or something. It's, uh, yeah, that's very cool. It's still novel and exciting for me to, you know, have fans and yeah, people that people that know who I am. But also, it's just yeah, fun to hear. Hopefully, from hopefully not to uh, an annoying point of, especially in those like hyper running communities where it's like, hey, Jake. Like <laughs> now, after being Honestly, picked up, I was both looking for a little like little fandom because I, you know, I've been in Eugene for trials before, and like you go to like the 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 duck or whatever afterwards, and you know the guys that have made the team like they're getting mobbed, they got the fans everywhere, and yeah, you don't want that all the time, but I wanted a little bit. But instead, like I came home to Boulder and then didn't see anybody for like six months to, you know, like I didn't I didn't get my time in the sun. Um, yeah, you didn't get your homecoming. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I'm going out to Eugene for uh, to watch the trial. So, you know, get to get to be around the track community again once things open up. Um, I'm excited to be around just like well, people in general, but the running community, too. You know, like my teammates yeah. are great, but I'm ready to see other runners. Yeah, for sure. I feel like the Olympic trials this year are going to be, yeah, very much uh, everyone is going to have all this built up energy around seeing oh, yeah. every, seeing each other again. And then assuming it sounds like there will be spectators again. So it's going to be a, a huge just coming together and like super hype. But Adam and I are definitely sad that we can't be there to, to witness it in person ourselves. But that'll be fun for, for you to go be a part of that again and get to uh, see everyone that you, you know, have met over the years and connected with over the years. Yeah, hopefully those bars are insured. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, I don't think distancing is going to happen at the duck, so hopefully everybody's vaccinated. Oh, that's I right. guess that's something we should touch on. Everybody go get your vaccines. Agreed. Yeah, go Agreed. Beer Mile podcast is a fully vaccinated podcast, that's for sure. Right, that's right. Excellent. Sure. So how long do you have until you are headed over to Japan for the Olympics? How, how long in advance of the race are you planning to head over there? one of the reasons I've had a Eugene is to do team processing because they didn't do it at the, the last trials. I think they just wanted to have track and marathon all together at one time. Um, so that's when we'll actually like schedule flights and stuff, but I, I can't imagine it's going to change. So unfortunately we're going to miss opening ceremonies, uh, but we'll be getting in like August 1st. Like you lose quite a bit of time by going West. So um, that'll be when I actually head out to Japan, but because that's only eight days in front of the race, um, trying not to get that like that little dip you get when you come down from altitude so i'll probably be somewhere at sea level maybe just go home to bellingham a little bit or you know some some other place where i can stay for free uh but yeah go home for just a couple days to kind of get that 11 10 day window um so i'll probably be leaving somewhere more around like the 26 27 
Got it. That makes sense. And so right before we started recording, we touched on you. So you're stationed in Boulder, but spending time in Charlottesville and uh, getting some humidity training ahead of uh, the, the trip over there. So yeah, how, how has that transition been? And uh, comparing the humidity to the altitude, what's your preference in the two of those? Well, unfortunately, whenever I come down to sea level, and every time I've done it, I've, I've like, hope the same thing, because I never grew up at altitude, like, we would do a little bit for training. But other than that, like, I got a lot of experience with it. Every time I would come home from Boulder, or whatever it was, I think, like, yes, I'm gonna feel like Superman this time, like, got all those red blood cells, I'm all amped. And I never really notice a significant difference when I come down. So then it's the same thing coming in here, like, I didn't notice a huge bump from all my altitude training, and then just getting whammied with 70% humidity, like, uh, it was definitely a transition the first couple of days. Like, uh, I, don't, I thought I hydrated a lot at altitude, but that's like a, it's like a second job right now, just pounding water because I just <laughs> lose so much. Um, it's been, I think of like, I do feel like it's been useful though. Like, I feel like I've adjusted the runs lately have not been at least haven't felt as kind of oppressively hot as they did before. So I think I'm getting some adaptation stuff. I really didn't think I could sweat any more than I already was, but I keep surprising myself. Um, it's been, yeah. So I think we're getting what we wanted to get out of it. And if nothing else, like it's just a different kind of hurt. And you know, this way, like we get a kind of used to that kind of hurt, even if, and then also ideally we're getting some, you know, increased blood volume and all the other adaptations that you're looking for. Um, yeah. It's been good. Charlottesville is a awesome running town. I didn't like done, but so the reason I came here was because my uh, college coach, Jason Dunn, I was with him at Stanford. Um, he lives here now and he's been bragging about the trails and like all the different places to run around here. He posts photos and everything. And he wasn't joking, man. Like I run a different trail every single day and it's all like just the most gorgeous dirt single track through like shaded woods next to rivers and stuff. And then when you need better, like better footing, like gravel roads, asphalt roads, flat rolling, they got everything around here like it's been pretty nice um managed to meet up with some of the Reebok Boston guys took me for a couple runs that was fun so it's been a great trip you know even if I wasn't getting the adaptation like just change the scenery is fun in itself and like you know I do Bobo Link most mornings because I can do it from my front door a Bobo Link is a trail in Boulder that like everybody does uh so just to not do that for five days out of the week is uh, a little bit of a mental relief too. For sure. Definitely switching things up is a good thing. And you've had success with that in the past as well. Your move to Boulder, uh, you know, making that decision to switch up your scenery coming off all the Achilles injuries and, and everything else. So it seems like that has worked well for you in the past to, to have that uh, change as well and get some fresh stimulus, fresh perspective, fresh uh, environment to work out in. Yeah. I, um, you know, I think if something's working for you, keep, keep hitting away at it. Like there's no need to reinvent the wheel every single time, but things weren't working for me. Like I definitely needed a change. And so like Lee's training, very different than anything I'd done before. Had never lived at altitude. Like, um, yeah, really switched a whole bunch of stuff up and then, you know, obviously it's worked out fantastically. So, uh, yeah, I think, um, adding a little bit of variety every now and then it's a, it's real good. Absolutely. How do you, uh, how do you approach that? Like, when do you think that it's time to add in different, like a, a change in scenery or like different stimuli? And how does that conversation look with your coach? Well, it's probably a little bit different 
depending on the kind of thing you're talking like so for running right running is there's no way for it not to be a grind at least some of the time right like it's always going to be um there are going to be plenty of times where you like don't want to get out the door whatever it is um so to kind of justify all of that uh i don't want to call it hardship like what i do is not hardship like this is freaking awesome that i get paid to do what i do but like um i guess yeah, to justify the amount of sort of time and effort and emotional energy you put into it, like there has to be something coming back. And so if you stop feeling like you're getting something back from it, like when I was in Michigan, it was working out really well for me there early on. I had like a great group of guys that I'd sort of joined with. We were all really good friends. Um, and like, then they sort of left the team. Um, I was starting to deal with like all my Achilles stuff. I didn't want to be in the Midwest anymore. Like I was kind of a little bit over Rochester um, it didn't quite feel like me and the Hansons had the same ideas about like kind of what I needed for training or, um, you know, where I saw my career going. I just, I, I felt like I was in a rut and I wasn't, I wasn't enjoying it anymore. So one of the things I say a lot is um, by the time I got to the 2016 marathon trials, like by the time I stepped on the line of the race, the main reason I was excited to race wasn't because I was like excited to go out to compete. It was because I knew once I finished the race, I was going to have downtime and I wasn't going to have to like push through my Achilles pain anymore. I wasn't going to have to like, you know, figure out a new place to run or like humidity or anything like that. Like I just wanted to be not training anymore. And that's like, and so sure enough with six miles to go in the race, when the race was really starting, like, you know, that's not a, a, a headspace to be in. Like I didn't really get nervous before the race. I was trying to manufacture some stuff, but like, I was still racing. Okay. Like, I don't think anybody would look at that race and say like, Whoa, he really crapped the bed, but also like, I wasn't going to do anything special either. I mm-hmm. think, you know, you need to have, there needs to be some sort of excitement. You need to feel like you're risking something. And so, you know, in 2019, when I raced Chicago it was my first marathon back, like after three years, no racing, whatever, I couldn't sleep the night before. I think I slept like maybe half an hour and it was kind of a doze. Like I was nervous. I got those waves of adrenaline and I hadn't felt that in years. And like, you know, I was back to being excited about racing. So I, I probably left Michigan a little bit longer than I, I should have. I think I should have kind of cut that cord mm-hmm. a little bit earlier, but, um, you know, I think you need to feel like you're getting something out of it. Like, yeah, I think it's to, to spend as much time as you do training. Like, I think there are numerous arguments as to like why that's not a worthwhile investment of your time, right? This is not a particularly lucrative sport. Like um, it takes a lot of time and effort. And I think we can all agree that like, it's a lot of fun to not get up at 6am to get you running or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So like there has to be something coming back to you. So if you don't feel like it's coming back to you anymore, then you need to switch something up. I would say, because it's, it's not like it's going to really get better. For sure. uh, For sure. If if it's keep not getting anything out of it. Yeah. So, so in those three years then where you were dealing with the Achilles injuries, you know, you hadn't set any personal bests in several years. Uh, you have an engineering degree from Stanford. So you could have easily at that point made the decision to go into the working world, you know, make a good living as an engineer somewhere. Well, fair (laughs) enough. Fair enough. I know, I know. And maybe that's a great, maybe that's another, uh, you know, topic to ask as part of this question is this make it a two-parter if you will on the I guess the difficulty of maybe switching into an engineering career you know several years out from having graduated college and being a professional runner but uh but yeah curious during that time like what really 
kept you motivated or kept you wanting to come back to the running, you know, knowing that you had all that time where it hurts every day. You're really on the defensive versus the offensive. Like you said, you weren't necessarily going into an, a race with an, like an attack mentality and offensive mentality. What, yeah, what kept you motivated enough to say, I still have a lot more in the tank. I want to get back to, uh, I know I got more in the marathon. I know I can run a personal best. Like what was really driving you to do that? I mean, part of it was like, it wasn't just sort of one long buildup from injury to recovery that just took three years. Like I would say I probably tried to come back three different times. So like I was seeing someone in Michigan and I was starting to make a little bit of progress. And so then I moved back to Seattle for a time and I was starting to get some runs in and then it flared up again. So now I saw a new doctor in Seattle, started to make some progress, flared up again, got PRP injection in Seattle, flared up again, saw someone else. So like, you know, you get those little flashes of hope where you've taken time off, you get kind of back to the rehab and you're like, okay, this time's going to be the time. Um, So that certainly kept me going like a little bit. I do think had I had an easier time finding a job, this might've been a different story. You know, like you said, I was four years out of college. I hadn't really used my degree. And I kind of called my shot before we moved back to Seattle. I was like, we're going to Seattle. And then decided to try and find like actual engineering jobs. So I kind of limited myself as to what I could do. And then obviously there's like nothing on my resume. So it was a little bit tougher to find. Yeah. Something that I could work as. So I was like working as like a substitute teacher, just applying to a whole bunch of jobs and not really finding anything because, you know, it's either mm-hmm. two years experience or just graduated from college yeah. and I didn't have either of those. So yeah. beyond that, I was also, I just left the Hansons, which meant I had also left, uh, I had lost my contract and uh, I was also going through some, some personal relationship stuff at the same time. So a lot of crap was going wrong. And as much as running was painful, you know, that's what I know. Like since sophomore year of high school, maybe junior year of high school. Like I've been a runner. That's what I do. Like, that's kind of how I define myself. <clears throat> I think a lot of runners recognize this and I've, I've had to have like conversations about it with my girlfriend now. Cause she's not a runner. It's like, yeah, the, the, the day's not over until the run gets done. Like mm-hmm. every day you wake up and it's not, am I going to go for a run? Like I might go for a run today. It's like, when is the run going to get done? And if it's not done yet, then like, there's always that nagging little piece in the back of your mind. Like I'm, I'm a runner. And so you know, to not have that on top of all this other stuff, like it would have just sort of felt like this directionless void and like sent me in like a spiral or something like that. Like, even if it hurts, like I know this, like I know how to come back or, you know, I know what injury feels like. I know what rehab is like. I know what, you know, what it means to like getting on the bike for 60 minutes. It's not particularly like rewarding, but at the same time, I feel like I'm doing something and it's something related to, to what I love. And then, you know, I left the sport without really kind of on a, a little bit of a low note. Like I, I raced the 2016 marathon trials and then the 10 K and neither of those went particularly well. Mm-hmm. This is what we already talked about. Like um, I felt like I still had stuff left to give. Like, you know, if I could get healthy, I could give it another shot and at least make another marathon trials and maybe do a couple of pro races, like um, really try and see how good I could be. Uh, and that was kind of what inspired me to come out to Boulder was it was a place where I could, you know, if I was going to stay hurt, well, I was going to be getting a mechanical engineering degree because I moved out here to, to go to CU Boulder. Um, so then I would have a, an actual degree to work. And if I was going to get better, well, then great. Boulder is like one of the best places in the country to train. So um, that was part of the reason I came out here. And then I chose Lee because he's worked with a ton of athletes that I respected. Um, 
yeah, you talk about like keeping the fire going. I do think that's a little bit of a, a misnomer. Like fire comes and goes, right? Like we know True. that you're getting ready for race. Yes. Have fire. There are long stretches of time where it's trying to maintain like actual passion for what you're doing. Like it's hard, man. It's draining. Like, you know, you should, like, if you have a passion for cross training, I would like to know what your secret is. Like, I don't think anybody <laughs> likes, you know, going to the pool to aqua jog for 60 minutes. Like that's boring. It sucks. Right. You go through that because you know what the fire feels like and that's, what's going to allow you to, to feel the fire. So a lot of time it was not, I am really excited to do this or like, I'm so motivated and passionate and like inspired right now. It's like crap. I remember when I was impassioned and inspired, I really like to feel like that again. So this is what I have to do to feel like that. I think one of the, one of the things that I've learned like later in life has been that there is no like consistent fire and it's just kind of working through whatever you're doing until you get to the point where the fire is there and then you're at like a place to capitalize on it. So yeah, I really enjoyed that answer. Well, I think like also, you know, fire can get you into trouble sometimes. Like that's one of the things people always talk about. You know, you're a freshman in college or you're, you know, freshman, sophomore in high school where you're just starting to realize that you can be good or you feel like you have something to prove yourself and you're just hammering it every single day. We know like recovery and, and sort of like running takes time and it takes consistency and it's sort of the input of miles over a long period of time. And so if you're fired up and ready to like get after it and you're always grinding, that's going to take a toll on your body too. So um, I think having a little bit more of a kind of a workmanlike uh, approach to it, I think that's something you'll see with a lot of uh, the guys that have been around the sport for a long time, like Lagat or Abdi or those people, like he just kind of shows up and he does his job and he gets fired up like in the big races. But a lot of times it's just, this is my job. I do it. Like I've been doing the same thing yeah. for 20 dang years. And like, I just kind of know how it goes. You know, passion, passion's a young man's game or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. It, it isn't, it's interesting to hear the different philosophies or outlooks that different people employ. And like everyone has their own thing that makes them successful. Like some people are successful off of just that super like competitive mindset of just like, I'm going to go out there and it's all about, I guess more like, I don't want to say ego driven, but kind of from that perspective, the competitive mindset versus like, this is my job. It's like a completely different kind of view on the sport. Uh, and so one, one thing I think our listeners are, are curious about usually is kind of like the, the business side of running as well. And so in that time where you did make the transition, you're not sponsored, um, like what, what is that like to be a not sponsored athlete? I think it was, so it sounds like you were going to school at the same time. So you're still working towards that piece of it. But, uh, what is that perspective? I mean, running is there, there's money in it for a select few, but not necessarily for the majority of professional runners. So, um, yeah. How, how has that been over your career just from, uh, you know, making a living standpoint and, and it being your job? Yeah, I've been pretty fortunate you know i i am not or for the most of my career i have not been an a-lister right like i've been mm-hmm. kind of like on the b-list one of those people that like i show up and i do well but you know i don't have a u.s title unless you count club cross um i don't have an ncaa title like when i came out of college i was fortunate to sign with the hansons and there was a you know 
Rochester is relatively inexpensive to live in and I was able to get on stipend relatively quickly. So yeah, running was able to be my job and I wasn't putting a lot away, but I also, I was living comfortably enough. You keep your means pretty small and then you're, you're, you're doing okay. And that kind of justifies itself because the running lifestyle is a pretty awesome lifestyle. Like we talk about how hard running is, but at the same time this morning I got up, I ran, I made breakfast and I took a nap and then I got on with you guys. Like it's pretty, pretty nice compared to what the alternatives are. Um, when I, after I left the Hansons, yeah, I worked as a substitute teacher for a little while. I, uh, when I first moved to Boulder, the first job I could get was, uh, working in the warehouse of an online, uh, vape cigarette seller. Like it's weird. The guy that owned the place was part of the, um, Boulder track club. He was like one of the um, community runners for the Boulder track club. And so half the warehouse was like a bunch of guys that were like really like vaping and they would you know, go out and like blow flat clouds and stuff like that. And then the other half of the warehouse was a bunch of runners that like would go out at lunch and do their second run. It was a, a, a strange mix, but you know, it paid like $15 an hour, you know, as a warehouse gig, it was pretty damn good or $12 an hour. Uh, but then when the bills are coming due and you realize you're going to be coming up close to like not having any money left in the account, having a little bit of a buffer and like being able to you know, take some of that space off. It certainly makes it a lot easier. So there is certainly a lot of privilege in my ability to be able to run for, uh, or, or kind of do those, those things together. Now I was also going to school at the time. And if I hadn't been doing that, who knows, like I could have worked more or something like that, but you know, Boulder's an expensive town and, and having my parents be able to provide a little bit of some financial support was invaluable. Um, Honestly, I don't think, like I said, running, you kind of have to be like, you should be getting something out of it sort of emotionally or you know, in satisfaction or whatever in order to justify the amount of time you're putting in. Um, but as long as you're getting that, like working a part-time job when you're young and, and then trying to train, like, I think it has some benefits. It can be pretty rough. Like you see people go into some pretty dark places when there's only so much cross training you can do and you're hurt and you don't know when it's going to finish. Like, I think it's good to have something else there. So, you know, even when I worked or I was with the Hansons, like I still worked in the running stores a couple of days a week, though I didn't have to, I still have my tutoring job, even though I have a sponsor now, I don't technically have to. And it's not because of, of money. It's like, it provides some structure today. It provides a place for me to go interact with other people that aren't runners. Like that's fun. And having, having to strike a balance is useful and i think you see a lot of people struggle with that transition from college to pro especially if you're trying to do it on your own right you're not part of one of those big groups where there's a lot of people to learn from i was lucky i went to the hansons there are guys show me how to show me the ropes like if you go to bowerman track club like you're going to be learning from lopez lamong who's been doing this for 15 years like there's a lot of value to that because you just don't know what to do with yourself right when you're in college you have class you have like some sort of structure imposed on you and so you kind of have to get a run done at a certain time. I still work as a part-time tutor right now, not necessarily because I like I have to, like I, I make enough money from running that I could pay my rent without it, but just because like it's nice to have something to do during the day that's not not running related. So um, you know, I think it's really easy and it's fun and it's great to be a professional runner when running's going well, right? When like you get out and you can get all your volume in, you can feel like you're getting stronger and, and workouts are going well. But when you're hurt or when you're on downtime, you just had a bad race. Like it can be a real bummer. Like you don't have a lot to do with yourself and you just kind of think about how much you're hurting. There's only so much cross training you can do. 
and you don't know when you're going to come out of it. Like you see a lot of people struggle through injury things, just not just physically, but emotionally. And I think it's good to have some sort of distraction, something that is not running related, especially if it can get you to interact with people that aren't runners, like something that can help you use your brain, whatever it is, intellectually stimulating. I think that's really helpful. Now I say that and I've essentially cut out most of the other stuff that I do in order to focus on the Olympics. So I'm not always doing that, but like, I don't plan on quitting my, my tutoring job. I try to have something going on beyond this. Um, just cause you know, it's nice to have something else on the docket during the day. Yeah. And I think a lot of uh, some of the other guests that we've talked to as well, um, have kind of gotten into this where you go through the big injury cycle and you're not able to compete and curious on the way that professional running contracts are structured. It is very incentivized for you to be performing well, competing, you know, relatively often. Do you think that that's kind of a detriment to the athlete's success longer term? I'm just curious from your perspective, and I don't know how your agreements with Brooks or, you know, current agreement is structured. It, if it is very performance-based, you know, time-based, making teams-based, uh, racing a certain number of times per year, is that, in your opinion, a, a good thing or a bad thing in that it raises the pressure level to really perform? And then if you are in one of those cycles where you're having just injuries that we all deal with, every runner deals with injuries at some point, is that just creating extra pressure that's unneeded and actually, you know, being a detriment to your long-term vision and long-term success? Uh, I guess the short answer would be, yeah. Um, I'm very fortunate. So I'm with on running right now and I have a four-year contract. So I have a base level salary that's guaranteed. And then when I race, you know, I have the opportunity to earn bonuses and there's like rollovers and all this other kind of stuff. So, you know, I can get, I can increase my baseline salary. And then if I don't race for a year, well, I'll go back, but I'll still have like, I have guaranteed income, which especially in the marathon where I don't run a ton during the year. So if like one of those doesn't go well, it can be a, you know, a huge detriment. Um, that's yeah, that's, that's a huge peace of mind. And I think you see that conversation happening in a lot of the spaces in the sport, especially with like women trying to get pregnancy leave, yeah. like, Nike contracts for a while, like you would get reduced or like you would lose your contract. And, you know, I have friends that have contracts with other companies and yeah, it's certainly a concern that like, if I don't race six times this year, I don't get paid. Like I don't, I don't have my money anymore. And that's not one, you know, talking about competing injured, like you're not going to do anything special there. So it's not like you're really going to get the best out of your athlete and you have the potential to exacerbate an injury. You have more of a, a, you're essentially incentivizing training through things like maybe you get some good performances every once in a while, but if you want a long-term successful athlete, like that's not going to work. And yeah, every once in a while you might get someone who they just have like a really crappy injury prone cycle and they don't quite, you know, return your investment, but like you're not going to get the return anyway. If, if the person, is constantly trying to to meet some sort of arbitrary like minimum standard. So, yeah, my my current contract and my Brooks contract too. Like there was, it's, it wasn't quite the same amount of time guaranteed, but like there was a buffer there. So, you know, you hit your standard, or whatever, and then you have two years before it comes up again. So if you get hurt in there, it's okay. You're not going to lose your your money, and then all of a sudden, like, wonder if you're going to lose your house. 
So yeah. you know, I think it's, um, I always wonder about other sports and the way they structured their contracts because it seems like running is so much more geared towards like statistics driven. Could, like, could you imagine if MLB was driven by like, okay, you need to have this many RBIs by this point in the season? Like that would that would be nuts. People would like baseball wouldn't be a fun sport to participate in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think they, like, I know football gives out bonuses for like performance bonus type of things, but yeah, you have, you have, you have a baseline salary because it kind of acknowledges like you're here putting in the work and sort of representing the brand, uh, you know, now representing the brand, you kind of need to have like a good performance for us to make any waves at all in running as opposed mm-hmm. to football where like when you sneeze, it makes ESPN. So <laughs> there are slight differences there, but um I also think that's somewhat on the brands and the way that we market ourselves and the way that, you know, I think society thinks about running a certain way. And if we sort of internalize that as owners, like, yeah, we, you should think that our sport is boring and you should cut away for, you know, an hour and a half in the middle of a marathon and then only show the winner as they like waving to their mom instead of the finish line. The, <laughs> no one thinks that but for some reason we right. keep doing it and yeah. nothing changes yep. at the high levels so like we love we love to talk we love to talk about how um like times aren't all that matters and there's like all these like really interesting stories and like even within the race tactically there are things that happen that if you're just looking at numbers like you won't see but but then like contracts are structured essentially like around all the boring aspects of the sport. <laughs> like you want to talk like, I guess, I guess I have the same perspective on NASCAR that like a NASCAR person has on running. I, I, I don't care cause I don't know a whole lot about it, but I think if I were to watch it, like it sounds like they do a much better job of presenting what those tactics are and like what's happening within the race. But you know, if you go back and watch the video from the trials, I think they mentioned four names overall, like, and maybe three of those more than once. I don't think they mentioned Sally Kipiego's name until she made the team. They did not mention that she's a silver medalist. Like you want to talk about storylines? Like what the hell are you doing? Like there's so (laughs) much stuff you could be filling your time with there. There's so much around that. Like, I don't think they really talked about the dynamic with three NAZ elite women in there. Like on the men's side, they talked about Jared, they talked about Galen. And I think they mentioned like, Legat, but you know you've got the army team and like three of those army guys went out early like talk about team tactics like yeah yeah ah, it's it's yeah i don't know it yeah it, 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 it credit to other outlets like the Sidious magazine guys um you know the people that are doing the commentating like getting getting kara and was it Sonia richards ross were doing the commentating for those meets like people that actually know what they're talking about are trying to yeah. be preaching and like have a background of knowledge in the sport that they can draw on as opposed to something an intern handed them 10 minutes before. Yeah. Yeah. That's how we should be doing that. It doesn't seem like it should be that difficult screen and screen technology. I don't know. This is just me kind of ranting off everybody's worst. And so I, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but the idea that we can't have screen and screen is, uh, especially for some, to no end. for some of the distance events. It's like, okay, you do it for, for, golf you do it for i assume nascar i don't really watch it but like like everyone else is doing it why can't we do it yeah yeah and put the field events on it crap show the track race and then switch to a oh, field totally. event. like you know we talk about distance running not getting some love i feel really bad for 
you know, your your hammer throwers, your shot putters, your high jumpers, like especially for how good the Americans are, like it, as of yeah. recent, um, it's like they're they're basic. They should be covered like the Ingebrigtsens, but but they're like not. <laughs> yeah, 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 and that's that's all our fault. Like a whole bunch of people made the decision that those things are boring to watch, but like. Are they boring to watch because they're actually boring? Or are they boring to watch because you don't know how to cover them? Like, there are ways to make those narratives exciting and to get jazzed about it. And like, yeah, they're just they're just not, and it's frustrating. Yeah, it it is interesting the gap in, like you're mentioning the commentating, how there just is so so many missed opportunities around storylines, etc. And, and you know, granted, I don't think I would do better in that job. There's a lot of people to cover a lot of things to know, but it is weird that in the sport of running the best coverage or the best way to learn about athletes, like really is podcasts, uh, for the most part are like these random, I guess, random YouTube channels or kind of random behind the scenes things. You don't newsletter and newsletters. Exactly. On race day, you're not really learning about the athlete as much as you should, other than the select few where they do the, uh, you know, like a little story breakdown, typically about the sprinters or like a 400 meter runner, they'll do something. But you're if you really want to follow an athlete and buy into a specific athlete, you kind of have to do your own research and find your own. Like, where did this person show up on all these different podcasts? And I got to I got to like find it myself. There's not a there's not a great way to do that. And the stories definitely are not brought front and center uh, during the race. And so that. Yeah, that's really, it's really tough. I mean, it's, there, there's so much that we could be doing to up the, up the level. Um, and I think everyone talks about it and that's not to say that it's easy. Like I'm, I definitely wouldn't want to be the one tasked with doing it, but, uh, (laughs) but, but a lot of independent creators through the podcasts and YouTube channels are doing a pretty good job at getting stories out there, but there's just not a centralization of it that gets brought to the table, you know, when it comes to the actual the the coverage that does make ESPN where it would actually make a difference where the general public would see it. Yeah. I mean, like I don't care about basketball. Uh, I could never commentate a basketball game, but you would never ask me to mm-hmm. like right. people, a lot of people are commenting. Track. I don't think they particularly care about track or if they do, they care about like one particular event and then they're being asked to commentate on this stuff that they don't care or know about. And I think that's like the big difference in coverage. Like the people that are covering basketball have covered it for 70 years. And like you said, yeah, there are creators out there that, you know, you talk about not wanting to be able to, like, there's a lot of pressure to do that work, but there are people that have put that on themselves because they enjoy it. Like, totally. there's no shortage yeah. of people that want to do that. So, yeah, it, it shouldn't be hard. We're making it harder than it is, it seems. For sure. Yeah, speaking, speaking of Sidious, shout out to uh, Chris for having the, uh, I forgot the program that they opened up, um, but essentially for the up and coming um, I don't know what they would even call them up and coming, like internet podcasters, content creators, etc. Um, just, I think, yeah, it's, I think it's really promising for the next like 10 years of the sport is getting people to a point where they are like mainstream and can partake in like NBC's coverage. Um, I mean, even having somebody like Kara Goucher, I think is a massive improvement from historically who has covered, um, track and field. Yeah. And she's got a name too, which makes it, you know, maybe a little bit more likely that she'll be kind of brought back and and brought into the booth. Like, you know, it seems like most of the time they just let 
the professionals do color commentary. And so like, mm-hmm. it's somebody out on like a gator, like, how's it looking? And well, these women are running real hard right now. And then they kind of cut back away to someone who doesn't really care. Like it's just, you know, let them cut loose and do some, some actual commentating there and talk about like race strategy. It'd be a little bit more fun. So hopefully, yeah, uh, we get, we get some big names that can also, you know, it is tough to be engaging on, live audio and be able to fill that space. Like I know that's a learned skill. It's not something that I could necessarily um, be and you have to have good recall and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we have a pretty big pool of sort of retired, semi-retired runners to draw on that I think could be engaging. So hopefully, yeah, we get that confluence of big name, engaging personality that can you know, make the commentary a little bit more interesting. Definitely. So, so going to, you mentioned a four-year uh, agreement with on, I uh, wanted to ask you about one, really your Olympic goals. You're going into the Olympics. What are you mindset wise? You know, how are you looking at it? What are your goals going into it? And then that's knowing that that is a four-year agreement now coming out of the Olympics. Like, what are you thinking about post Olympics? How long do you see your career going? Uh, are you putting much thought to that at this point? Or are you really just kind of buckled down in the near term? Um, so I think of myself and, and Jared Ward as pretty similar runners. We're the same age. Like we were at Foot Locker together. I think we have pretty similar PRs. We have pretty similar running styles. And, you know, he went to Rio and he got sixth. So that's definitely a number that's in my head. I would like to be, I think top 10 is kind of like a, that's a good solid goal. I think if I were to hit that, most commentators out of there would be surprised by that. And then, you know, I would be like, yes, that was a very good accomplishment. I don't like going into races thinking like I want to be top 10. You know, I, I really feel like you want to set your sights higher, but you know, when there's that many 203, 204 guys in the race, I think it's naive to think like, yes, I'm going to go out in this race racing as if I'm going to get a medal here. You know, I don't think my path to a really high finish is necessarily going out and trying to run compete for a win in the sense of like, I'm going out from the the gun to do it. You know, I think if I'm going to get in there, it's going to be because some other people kind of, you know, they spend so much time punching each other that there's no punches left for me. And like, I run, you know, not as a conservative race, but certainly like a little bit more of an even paced race with the idea that when people are kind of falling off and they're having trouble struggling at the end of the race, I'm ready to start accelerating kind of what I did at the trials. So yeah, Yeah, I was was just going to bring that up. My, my, my path to like ultimate success, I think is a lot narrower than a lot of the other people in this race. I'm not necessarily counting it out. Um, so yeah, I think top 10 is kind of the, the number I have in mind. I'd love to get that six. I mean, five, I have to be one step better than Jared. Ideally. Of course. Of course. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of how I've been envisioning things. I mean, right now I'm in just like the dog days of training. So everything hurts and you're always panicking that you'll never not be tired anymore. So like you constantly go through that sort of emotional thing, but um, you know, once things start to come around a little bit, I'll be able to get a little more excited about that. Uh, then yeah, the, the contract goes through to 2024. So I'm definitely in this through the next Olympic cycle. Um, then it's going to be reevaluate things. You know, there's no guarantees. We know that people that make the Olympic team one time around, you can get hurt or you can just, you know, have other people show up be better that day. So if I were to not make the team in 2024, I think that'd be a pretty big conversation to be had. I'll be 35. Yeah. 35 yeah. around that time, which is still prime marathon years are pretty close mm-hmm. to it. So, um, I think I'm not taking off the table that I could 
do a few more years after that. Um, in the interim, um, I definitely want to try and make a world cross team. That's kind of, but the like one A was making the Olympics, and then world cross is is one B with cross country. So that's been my first love. So I'd really like to go for that team in twenty twenty two. Try and make some world championships teams. You know, world championships are in Oregon this this time around. So yep. know, to be able to run world champs in my home country would be absolutely fantastic. Now, oh, yeah. those two things are a little bit at odds at each other. That's like we might have to make some priority shifts in there but, um and then after that it's like run as many marathon moves as well as i can um american marathoning like we have a silver medal from the last or bronze medal from the last olympics that's fantastic we just had a whole bunch of guys like you know three was it three four guys break 210 like we need to be a little bit higher up on those lists i think the last in what was it 2019 we had one person I think it was Leonard was the only person on that top 200 times list. Like, yeah. you know, I was ninth at Chicago with a two ten thirty, but like, that's not putting me on anybody's year end list. American marathoning on the international stage, I think should be at a higher level and I've made an Olympic team. And so I think the next step after that is to start thinking about being maybe a little bit more aggressive and sort of shifting what my expectations are for myself in terms of what a fast time is. Now, I could, I could certainly see myself getting a little bit too after it and like risking a little bit closer to that red line and potentially having a couple blowups in there. But at the same time, if you're going to run a fast time, you need to go out hard and you know risk paying for it. So I think trying to get into that 207, 206, 205 range um, would be another big goal. Getting some fast races. You know, we're lucky we have some fast courses available here and um, try to take advantage of that. So. Yeah, fast times, placing well, just do as many of the things that like I missed out on doing when I was hurt and ride this Olympic train as far as I can. You know, one of the awesome things about being Olympian is it opens so many doors in terms of competition opportunities. Um, it's it's easier to get into races. You get invited to different things like, you know, Great North Run in England. I used to, in the past, I probably would have had to like pay my own way or, you know, have some sort of like backdoor into it whereas now you get that olympian in front of your name all of a sudden mm-hmm. like yeah you might be able to get an appearance for you or something like that and go do some some cool races overseas and and get um a little bit more international exposure and a little bit more international experience which would be awesome definitely we, we've certainly seen in the past i i don't know say 10 years of athletes really doing well in their later years compared to previous, you know, I, Abdi is a perfect example of that. Uh, someone who just continues to grind on. I mean, Lagat was another good example. I think, I think more and more we're seeing longevity of careers into your late thirties, even forties. So it's awesome to hear that you're thinking about it that way. And, you know, it's not even just saying 2024, but also like, is there an opportunity beyond that? You know, when you're 39 and it's 2028, there still is potential that you're even PRing at that age, which is, which is awesome. That's awesome to hear. Um, Sarah Hall is apparently running better than she ever has. So, you know, it's right. like, insane. that's certainly a, an example to keep in mind. Exactly. It's the, uh, it's the, the Stanford path. Exactly. And, and it's insane because it's not just the marathon for her. She's crushing the 10 K on the track too. She's, she's got the whole, the whole range and it's, yeah, yeah you, you wouldn't even expect to see that. Yeah. I, so, so your fitness now looking back, I, I guess part one of the question is I'm curious how your, 
it, how your perspective is on the Olympics getting pushed out a year. Do you think that you're going to be better equipped and uh, more prepared for the Olympics, knowing that you had that year and a half to prepare for it? Or, I mean, I guess you probably aren't going to say that, you know, oh, I would have been better off if I only had the six months, uh, you know, because that obviously didn't happen. But, but or, or do you really see it as you're kind of indifferent, you know, one way or the other? But also then, how do you feel like your fitness is coming along right now as compared to, say, you know, December, January, leading into those Olympic trials, uh, early 2020? Yeah, I, well, I ended up dealing with um, some, it wasn't like fall on injuries, but certainly some kind of nagging pains. Um, after the Olympics, I was dealing with like this kind of chronic hamstring and it just took us a really long time to figure it out. Now that wouldn't have stopped me from getting to the start line. It would have been, you know, at the end of the day, like at the very least, just jam some cortisone and then I'll, I'll be able to go out and race. That was never going to be the issue, but you know, it's, it's hard to train at full capacity when you've got this like little kind of nagging thing in the background. So the extra time certainly gave me an opportunity to, to take care of that. And, in the process of trying to figure out what was causing it and what it was, um, it dug into some of the imbalances that I think probably generated from when I was dealing with my other side, my right side with the Achilles problem. So I think I've addressed some underlying structural issues and some, some strength imbalances that I didn't really know were there before. Or I didn't think were showing up. So I think my strides gotten better. Um, we tried to get a little bit of speed work in, but then I had to, I can't deal with that hamstring thing. So I don't know how much that really added to it. As far as where I am in this buildup, it's always a little bit hard to tell because everyone, like, I thought we were going to kind of keep a little bit closer to the previous schedule. So I'd be able to compare, compare workout to workout. Um, but I do remember being about two months out. I was at home in Bellingham training and it was not feeling good. Like every tempo was feeling like pretty crappy and that still happens to a, a certain extent, but I, it's better than it was before. So I think in terms of where I am relative to previous buildups, I think I'm a little bit ahead of where I was. And that's kind of Lee's whole philosophy is, you know, we're going to try and do the exact same thing. We're going to do it a little bit better. So, you know, I'm not blowing previous workouts out of the water and I don't know if that would even be the best thing to be doing. You know, one of the nice things about having a coach with as much experience, especially Olympic experience as Lee has is, he made plenty of these mistakes when he was doing his own buildups. So he kind of knows some of the pitfalls to, to steer me away from. So we're not trying to overreach here. We're not radically trying to, to reinvent the wheel and do something totally different. Um, it's just trying to make, you know, from last segment, what can we learn and what are some like small improvements that we can do? Let's try and, you know, maybe uh, shoot for just a little bit faster on this particular key workout uh, without trying to radically overhaul everything that we did before. So, I think we're sticking to that plan pretty well. Um, yeah. I do feel like I'm just you know, a little bit more fit um, starting out at a little bit higher level than I was beforehand. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll see that reflected when we get to race day. Now at the same time, yeah. trials was like 45 degrees and breezy and hilly and Sapporo is flat and it's going to be fast and it's going to be hot. So, you know, if I were to run the same time in Sapporo, would that be a better thing or worse thing? Like who, who the heck knows? Like, I don't really know how I'm going to have to compare those performances, but um, yeah, hopefully in terms of overall fitness will be uh, a little bit better than I was going to the trials. Yeah. Knowing that the race is likely to be hot, I think, you know, at least my perspective, my take is that it might, it might be better suited for you knowing that you're going win with that mentality of, 
you kind of are that smart racer, uh, like you compared yourself to Jared Ward. What, what you see in a lot of races is, you know, everyone, like people will go at the pace. And then if it is, you know, if it is that hot and people are laboring, you know, a lot of people will probably drop out if it, if the weather is like that. So if you're just eating people up on the back half of that race, like running your own race, say it, say it plays out like that. Who knows? Maybe it'll go out slow and everyone's in the pack. Hard to know. But, but if you do have a breakaway early on, and a lot of people go with it. They just can't handle it. They drop out. I mean, that, that might play really well into your racing style. It's, it's so hard to gauge and so hard to know, but, uh, being patient in a hot race is typically the best approach, uh, for sure. Versus, versus just going balls to the wall from the get go and hoping, <laughs> hoping that you aren't affected as much by the heat as, uh, as you know, it, inevitably you're going to be just biologically, <laughs> Unless you're one zero and then you can do whatever well, you want. Yeah. You can go out <laughs> two oh three pace and freaking that, 100 degrees. Um, yeah. RIP, man. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's true. He, he was one that everyone would have loved to have seen what he could have done if he would have, uh, you know, been around for another five to 10 years. Cause yeah, there, there aren't many people that can do what he was able to do. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, Adverse conditions are certainly an opportunity if you can be one of the ones that doesn't let you doesn't let it affect you. Like I remember being at the trials and a lot of people were concerned about. Well, first of all, they concerned how cold it was going to be, and it was like forty five, mm-hmm. and I was like, "This is goddamn fantastic! That's perfect. Like, this is perfect." perfect. <laughs> but you know, also like the hills were concerning, and I think in any major race, especially a championship race, and then you add on top of that, not just championship, but like the championship race there's going to be 20% of the people that kind of like they show up to that start line and they're already pretty much done because the, the moment has gotten on top of them. Um, you know, another advantage I think I have to a certain extent is like, no one's going there to race me, right. They're going there to race like Mo or Kipchoge or Galen. Like, you know, if they're, if their race strategies are accounting for people, it's not going to be for me. And, you know, at a certain point, it's like two people throwing a punch at each other and they knock themselves out. And like number three can kind of like jog in there. Like, yeah, you know, if they're throwing haymakers and I don't have to be the one getting hit by those things, like, yeah, some people could punch themselves out before the end. And if I can be sort of smart and contained and controlled, um, and then, you know, ready to roll over the end, which is like the whole key part to that entire strategy. You know, like I said, my, my, my path to really high level success is a lot narrower than anybody like Kipchoge has got. 20 different ways that he can beat you because he's the fastest ever and he's also one of the strongest ever and you know etc 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 like i don't have his wheels i don't have his endurance like i kind of need to, to sneak in there a little bit so you know i take that conservative approach i need the race to come back to me a little bit and so if that doesn't happen then my conservative approach was probably not going to be that successful um but at the same time going out and trying to like drop four thirties to run the legs out of Kachoga, like that's not gonna be that successful either. And I'm probably not gonna be there at the end to take advantage of it anyway. So I think this is my best strategy. I don't think anybody's like surprised by that strategy. I think a lot of people are gonna go in with their that with that same mentality. And then it's about managing the little things so that when you go in you're ready to execute it. And I do think that's one of the advantages to Lee's training and to the kind of stuff that we do. I think he prepares us really well for championship racing for racing that involves lots of pace changes. Um, you know, we also, if you look at what we do to compare other groups out there, at least in the U S um, 
we err on the side of less versus more, like a little bit less mileage, um, especially in terms of like the high intensity workouts, we pull that back on that a little bit. So, you know, our goal is to come in a little bit undercooked rather than overcooked. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're talking about being conservative and having something left to push at the end, undercooked prepares you for that kind of that style of racing a little bit better. You know, we don't come all the way up to the razor's edge, which means, you know, maybe I won't ever go into a race at like the absolute pinnacle of the fitness that I could hit, but yeah, that's really hard to control. And I think you see the people that try to ride that line real close. They'll have a good one, but they'll also have a couple bad ones in there. And there are going to be plenty of people out there having a bad race. So if you're out there ready to have a good one, even if it's not the best one you ever had, so long as you have it on that day, that's what's important in championship racing. And that's kind of how we're, we're approaching things. Yeah. And, and going back to the delaying of the Olympics by a year and really the marathon is so much about lifetime fitness. And so I think as someone who was hurt, you know, or dealing with, you're still running here and there, but, you know, dealing with injuries throughout several years, that extra, at least from my perspective, again, that extra year is only going to help you because you're getting another year under your belt of training, getting more lifetime fitness. And then especially with what you just said around making sure that you're not overcooked. Uh, I think that's only going to lend to your benefit come, come race day. So, uh, that's a great approach. Absolutely. To, to be patient, uh, to some extent and not just, you know, yeah, again, be in balls to the wall every single day as part of your training. <laughs> well, Let's get, thank you for oh, saying that. Let's hope it actually ends up, you know, <laughs> Let's hope it pans out. <laughs> I remember seeing like, what was it? Michael Ward? No. Who was it that did like a three hour run at 12,000 feet, like at 540 pace or whatever it was that I think it was Michael oh, Warden. Anyway, like, you know, mm-hmm. you see somebody yeah. doing that and you're like, well, crap, I'm over here <laughs> farting around with 22 miles for my long run. Like, there's no way I'm going to be able to match up with it. But yeah, you don't know what's happening behind the scenes. And yeah, um, yeah, it's it, it, like I think one of the first quotes I had in here was like running is the accumulation of consistent mileage over a long period of time. So, so long as you're putting in consistent mileage, you're, you're going to be in good shape. Yeah. You're always going to have the Strava warriors, the Instagram warriors, but at the end of the day, you're the Olympian. Uh, you know, there's only three Olympians this year, this time around. So for the marathon, so I don't think, yeah, no one can take that away from you. You obviously did something right in the, in the buildup. Um, so we want to get into, we thought it would be fun to kind of close this out here. We wanted to do a little bit of a, um, who's more likely, uh, I, I don't know what the official name of it is called, but going back to your Stanford days. So Chris, Derek, uh, Garrett Heath, we wanted to do a little bit of, uh, you know, nostalgia back on the Stanford running days and, and talk about most likely too. So going back and it can be anyone else on the team too. We're just calling out some big names who are still in the game, still, still grinding away. So who's most likely to take an easy run too hard? Oh, well, I mean, Brendan Gregg would be, I think an even bigger okay. answer. Brendan. He's still okay. kicking yep. around there too. Um, if you get Brendan and Chris on any run, it's going to go too hard. Uh, you know, I was always, my long run philosophy is I I like to finish like a little bit fast, but most of the time I like to pick a pace and then I just kind of go and run it. And every goddamn long run, it's like running. It's just two half stepping guys. And you get to the end of the run and you're like, I would finish just absolutely furious that like we were finishing at 520 pace or whatever the hell it was. And Brendan would just kind of like, it's like he came out of a trance, like 
what are you talking about? I was just like running because I felt good. And Chris would do the exact same thing and it would just drive me absolutely nuts because they're just half-stepping <laughs> themselves to the freaking tempo runs at the end of the thing. And obviously it worked out well, but like, yeah, it's <laughs> sometimes it's nice to not be around Brendan or Chris for, for longer runs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had a lot of that. We, we had two guys and it's funny, you got to like keep those guys separate. Like we would always put two people uh in between the the half steppers so that you could kind of like kind of like putting blinders on a horse (laughs) yeah you just you just hope they wait a little bit that you get like some (laughs) some respite so they don't start it at like 45 minutes into a run yeah um next most likely is uh most likely to skip making dinner and just order food that's the thing with my teammates they're so damn responsible um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> probably, oh, probably actually probably me, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Garrett and Chris, like they just freaking love grilling and making food. Like everyone on that team just love to sit around and make food and eat. And I'm, I'm the kind of guy that like it's eight o'clock at night and I look at my watch. And it's like, ah, oh, crap, I don't want to make food. And I will go order something in. So I'm going to put myself in that one. What are, what are a couple of the go-tos if you're ordering food? Uh, is there a specific type of food that you go towards or a specific chain or anything? Uh, in Boulder, we have, I guess as a chain, it's this place called Motomaki, which makes like, mm. uh, like Japanese rice bowls. And they have this tempura shrimp bowl. It's got like a bunch of veggies and meats and rice and stuff in it. Um, that's usually the one that I reach for first. If I'm on the run during the day, it's going to be a burrito. And okay. ideally it would be something that a wasn't a chain, bet. but uh, more often than that, it ends up being Qdoba. But like we have like a place like a town, illegal Pete's that I'll go to. Oh, I'm I love illegal Pete's. That's my favorite place in Boulder. And I know there's probably a lot better restaurants that I just haven't been to, but illegal Pete's is always a safe bet. So yeah. I love it. But how many of them will get you your burrito in like two minutes? You know, there's, exactly. there's certainly a trade off between quality of food and uh, how quickly you get it. And for a Definitely. kind of a sure. sort of, uh, assembly line burrito place. Like you can't, you can't strike that balance much better. For sure. For sure. All right. So who of this Stanford running crew, who is the most likely to bail last minute on plans or, or even taking a different way, you know, who's the least punctual of, of the entire crew. Oh, least punctual. Um, I mean, fuck, it's probably me again, honestly. Uh, <laughs> punctuality is certainly my Achilles heel. Elliot Heath, I don't know, he would just kind of get into his own head, and so sometimes he wouldn't be there, but also he was the one that would, like, organize stuff a lot of the time. He's definitely the more most responsible. So it's me again, man. All these, like, negatives. I, it's a problem with being at a school like Stanford. You get a bunch of high achievers, like – yeah. Yep. <laughs> you you got to that position because you're pretty good at time management and uh yeah being a responsible person and i don't know yeah so it, it it'd probably be me and it would probably be compared to some of the other people you ever talked to like not that bad all right well hopefully <laughs> this one isn't also you um but most most likely to sleep through their alarm oh uh jt sullivan Okay. I don't know if you make the rounds anymore, but yeah, that guy could sleep like a, a, a champ and did quite a bit. Um, no, I, I think Chris did miss practice a couple times from sleeping through his alarm. I, I don't remember Garrett ever doing that. In fact, it, like whatever the opposite of that was, that would probably be Garrett, but 
showing up. If you're giving me just those two people, it would be Chris, and then overall from Stanford, it would have been JT. I'm talking about people that your listeners have no idea who they are because they've been out of running for a couple years. So hopefully, this isn't as it's fun for me because it's my friend. But uh, yeah, knowing our listeners, they're probably going to have a large Google list tonight as well as just fall into some YouTube hole from like the circa 2008 2010 era yeah. oh yeah for, yeah. Sure. for sure for sure you could do worse uh my my graduating classes we're still doing pretty well like there's some pretty mm-hmm. damn good runners on that list i would say i put them up against any any class in the recent history no doubt yeah, i think so yeah all right a fun one to close it out here um most likely to wake up in jail <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Dylan Ferris. Uh, okay. He was an 800 meter runner for us. Like, I think he ended up running like 146 or something like that. Yeah. He, he liked to get rowdy. Fair enough. I mean, for everyone who's been to college, I think anyone can relate to, you know, some rowdiness here and there. Um, I got, that leads me into like, what is, let's say you, let's say you medal at the Olympics. What does that celebration look like for you? What are you doing to celebrate that? I, um, in my head, like I'm in my bucket list. I've always wanted to like go into just a random bar and just buy, buy the bar around. And yep. so, I mean, before when I thought we were going to be able to stay in Japan and I was sort of like picturing pie in the sky, best thing that could ever happen is like, I get a medal and then I used to random Japanese bar and it's me buying sake shots for like <laughs> an entire room of <laughs> random Japanese people. I'm not going to be able to stay in Japan, but yeah. Yeah. First thing I do is I'm going to take some of that prize money. I'm going to go someplace and yeah, just get the entire bar rip roaring drunk. Um, <laughs> yeah. By, by the bar around is going to be, be my thing. There we go. You'll have to go on a little tour back in the U S between, you know, Boulder, uh, back home in Washington, mm-hmm. uh, meet up with the Stanford guys. You'll, you'll have to just do a little tour, a little, uh, yeah, yeah. a little bit, be- a little bender tour for a couple of weeks to celebrate afterwards. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jake, for coming on. Anything that you want to shout out, plug, leave our listeners with any words of wisdom? Uh, I mean, you already gave us a lot of words of wisdom earlier on a lot of moving, yeah, a true. lot of moving <laughs> remarks, but yeah. What, what do you, what do you want the people to take away today? I don't know. Make sure you tune into the trials, get the, get the viewership numbers up, uh, get vaccinated, watch the Olympics, tweet about the Olympics, like let them hear you. You know, the more you, I don't know, it's all about engagement now. So the more you like, tweeted us and follow us and engage yeah. with all this other stuff like that increases our brand awareness and it makes people think that we're worth sure. listening to so thanks so much for tuning in and, and hopefully you'll you'll watch us in japan and watch us in uh eugene and keep watching us after that right running still goes yep. on when the olympics are over like yeah right. follow the race road coverage subscribe to the, the beer mile podcast you know, oh, leave, yes. leave a review on iTunes, all that good yes. stuff. <laughs> yes. Hitting all the bullet points. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's perfect. The great, the great thing about the Olympics is that because you're wearing that U.S. jersey, then the entire USA is behind you, even if they don't know who you are, you know, going into it. So we will absolutely be rooting for you. Wish you the best in these next, uh, you know, this next month or so, your final preparation, I guess, more like six or so weeks. And yeah, hope the taper goes well. Hope the trip goes well. And yeah, we're really excited to see how you do. All right. Thanks so much, guys. It's been fun. All right. Thanks, Jake. Yeah, Cheers. Thanks, man. And there you have it. Um, really fun conversation with Jake. I, uh, 
we're we're gonna ask him the the smart runner question, but I think I think in his first answer, I was already like, wow, this guy's like way too articulate. I'm just gonna let him talk because he's <laughs> like, I don't know, he he has a lot of he he has a very mature take on the sport as well as just like the lifestyle that it encompasses. So it's really fun yeah. talking to him. The Stanford grad uh, also takes some brains to go through Stanford and especially getting an engineering degree. So yeah, Jake, Jake's got a good head on his shoulders because it has a great perspective on life and running and how the two blend together. So yeah, yeah. that was fun. I wish we would have had more time with them, but I love a good underdog story. You know, Jake, yeah. uh, not, not being a super followed guy on Instagram, not being a, a big name in the spot, like wasn't sponsored at the time of the trials and then just goes out there and takes care of business. And you got to love that. You got to love to see that. Yeah, I'm super stoked to watch uh, watch the marathon in Tokyo. We'll be watching you, Jake, rooting for you from home. Honestly, like maybe maybe a controversial opinion or thought, but like I'm gonna be rooting for Jake more than Galen because, like, oh yeah, is Galen exciting to talk to? Not really. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. You, Jake, again, the underdog story. The just the personality behind it. I, I mean, Galen probably has an amazing personality, but he just doesn't put himself out there as much. So it's a little bit harder to, you know, get to know him, get to know his, uh, I don't know, all his little, well, I don't even know what the word is. All your little ticks, all your little, and, yeah, yeah, pick, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Jake. And then you got Abdi too. You got the, the veteran of the sport, another fun yeah. guy to root for. Would, so just would Galen buy an entire bar full of random people drinks. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Galen, you want to come on the podcast and let us know what you think? We will gladly ask you that question on how you're going to celebrate your uh, medal at the Olympics. <laughs> All right. To close this bad boy out here. Let's talk about some beer as we always do in the outro here. A little bit of uh, a little bit of a beer review. Usually Adam and I are drinking the same beer, reviewing the same beer, but oh, this will we be are weird. Yeah, we're in different places. Adam's on the beach in Hawaii. I'm in the mountains uh, in Colorado. So I've, I've got, I'll introduce mine first. I guess I already quickly did in the intro, but got a growler here. Uh, Dillon Dam Brewery right here in Dillon, Colorado. And I've had a few of their beers before, but I'm a big Hefweizen guy. One, if that's always a go-to, always a safe bet. But they had a tropical Hefweizen. No idea what the difference is between that and their Hefweizen. They also had a regular Hefweizen. Adam, maybe you know the difference, but... They had a hef. Yeah, I assume it's just a fruity hefweizen. I I guess they had a hef and a tropical hef, the same ABV, but I, I don't know the difference. Um, so it's a five point nine percent ABV. Oh, it that's, is that's pretty good. Yeah, it is. It is free fifty, like completely free. Tastes amazing. Um, but I'll get into that in a second, Adam. Let's introduce your beer. All right, so I'm drinking the Half Acre Hazy Pale Ale out of Chicago. Uh, which is where I am, as contrary to my Zoom background. Uh, this is 5.5% ABV. So okay. we'll see, we'll see that what, what that does. Um, initially, I'm thinking the taste is pretty darn good. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm going to go just kick it off strong here. I'm going to give this bad boy, I'm hesitant to you know ever go a 10. So I'm going to go a 9.5 on this half oh. because a half, oh, so good. And I mean, I just got it poured from the bar today on draft and into this growler. So, so the, X also, factor, the X factor for you is obviously that it's a growler on vacation. De growler on vacation. Yeah. Local. 
it's 95 degrees and sunny here and it was an yeah, ice cold I, beer. I didn't realize it was that hot. That's oh, kind of wild. Yeah, I'm getting sunburned on my back right now. Just it, <laughs> it yes, yeah, it's it's super dry and hot here right now. So this thing even if in the winter if it's an 8, the this that the X factor of us being in this hot place straight from the source, straight from the tap right where they brew it. It's the a 9.5 on the drink. Fruitiness uh the tropical aspect probably helps. It does. Oh, I need to, now I need to do the side-by-side of the Hef without, or yeah, the regular Hef and the tropical Hef. Cause I, I really don't know what the difference is between the two. Yeah, but. that'll be a, a good test. Uh, for the Half Acre Hazy Pale Ale, I'm going to go with a 7.5. I think it's pretty good. Um, but something about it, it, it tastes to me kind of typical. Like there's typical. nothing that, nothing that jumps out at me, but I think, as far as typical beers go, that's usually like the highest sell rate. I mean, it's like seven and a half or an eight. And then above yeah. that, you got to do something special for me. Right, right. Have we ever done a Hefweizen on the podcast before? I almost think we have not. I don't think so. It'll be a okay. lot easier when the website's, when we add that so we can keep track of everything. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I Maybe, oh gosh, I just can't remember if we have or not, but. Oh, you that, know what? I think there, there's a German beer that was in your fridge. That you're right. You're right. Uh, shoot. I don't remember what it was, but you're, you're hundred percent right. But the, I, you know, we talk a lot about what beers we like and don't like. And, you know, I, if you've been listening for a while, I kind of stray away a little bit from IPAs. I, I like them, but usually just, you know, one IPA, uh, really my go-tos are the, the Hefweizens, the wheats, the, uh, Saison's, the Belgian styles. That's kind of like my go-to and so haven't had a good hef in a while to be honest it's, i guess it's been a few months just they're local in chicago there's one at dovetail i don't really know how many other hefs there are uh i mean probably i guess there's some german places but yeah um, it's not a typical uh chicago brew between yeah. the hefs and uh what's the style that starts with a k that's also kolsch yeah kolsch hefs and kolsch i i weirdly enough i like them like I like starting with an IPA, um, but I do not like starting with a Hefe or a Kolsch because for for whatever reason, it just kind of like throws me off for my first drink. But like after I get a few in my system and then I get my hands on a Kolsch, then it's like game over for the rest of the night. That's all I'm drinking. Yeah. Yeah. So to close out my review here, 9.5 on taste. I'm going to go a, a nine on drinkability. I mean, if I... Damn. If I didn't have control of myself, but I'm always in control, then I would just finish this growler today because this growler is tasting great. Um, but I need to, you know, stop myself after a couple pints, call it a day. So yeah, this thing overall, I think might be, it might be my top rated beer. It's definitely up there. I don't remember what we rated tank seven. I know tank seven was up there. If we had, if we added a cat. Yeah, I don't, I mean, that one ranked high on the X factor. I think we need to add a category, just like how free is it? And then if yeah. we, if we like make that consistent, then tank seven, like, you know, is above a Hefeweizen, but yeah, we need to, we need to eventually when we get enough beer reviews, we should add a scale for like our best beers. It's yeah. like from one to 10 and 10 is your, your most, you'd like the best on taste, the best on drinkability and the best yeah. on, uh, on, is it yep. free or not? Yeah. Um, the, for, old, the old cross product of uh, all the different variables. <laughs> the <cross> product, yeah. <laughs> uh, for the hazy or the, yeah, for the half acre hazy pale ale, I think I'm going to go an eight and a half on the drinkability, which I would say is pretty darn high for a pale ale. Um, mm-hmm. absolutely 
I just think maybe after like four pints of this, I would start to get tired, but four pints of a pale is pretty darn good. That is funny. That's uh yeah, I don't know. That's a healthy amount you could say. So how, how fruity, I guess like, you know, is fruity the right it's, word for hazies? You know, like kind of, hazy is like, yes and no. Yes and no. To, uh, fruity in my opinion. Like yeah. Right. Kind of. Okay. Okay. Uh, but I, I, this is like, this is pretty hazy, which I, I personally like. Yeah. So did you get that at half acre? Where, where uh, did you get that from? Just from a local at, store? Um, yeah, Beer Bazaar. Great. Oh, Beer Bazaar. That's great. Yeah. Great shop in Grays Lake, Illinois. Beautiful. Any so, how does this rank? I guess we've tasted so many different beers. You know, how, how is this like in the upper? What's what's the percentile in this? Is this like the upper? You know, ten percent, the upper twenty percent of what we've had. Now, where I would, would say you- it's for sure upper twenty. Upper twenty. For sure, upper twenty. I would I would put it at fifteen, but not ten. Okay. We've kind of talked about that, like pale ales in general, we're kind of like, you know, it's always a safe choice. It's not necessarily like you're going to like hit a grand slam with it, but it's always at least, you know, like a double, like a a safe double. So, yeah, I think so. I guess the X factor factor for this one is that it's, it's out of Chicago. I feel like eventually we're going to just run through all the Chicago breweries at some point. Yeah, we need to hit some of the West Loop ones. I think we've done a good job in the kind of in our area, but West Loop, there's some of those like peace and... Yeah, uh, like the like the that whole area. Ones. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll have to maybe grab some growlers from there or something and try those. But man, good stuff. And what's what a, what's our words of wisdom? Goodness gracious! Uh, I guess I'll just piggyback on what Jake said. And that if you love the sport of running, if you love the sport of track, you know, make sure you're tuning in to the Olympic trials. Make sure you're sharing it with friends and family. And it's a fun sport to watch. You know, I I I can test to even being a big fan that it gets very boring sometimes in the coverage just distance between races but uh you know time it takes a whole day to to go through you know 20 races but make sure you're supporting the athletes and the the sport in general and just make sure you're tuning in and having other people do the same i think if we can get those viewership numbers up follow the athletes on instagram that'll be good for the sport so love what jake said about that yeah definitely big big upside potential in the sport in general so excited to see where that leads us yeah what are you what's your closing words of wisdom besides uh check out beermile.com what else you got yeah my closing words of wisdom (laughs) is um fuck don't ever do brownfield software development sucks it's really hard (laughs) don't do software engineering are 1% of listeners that know what that even means are like, yeah, we agree, bro. We, we know, we feel you, bro. bro. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> feel you, bro. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully you guys enjoy by the time this episode comes out, it should yep. be out. Um, literally right after we record this, um, I'm back, I'm back on the grind. So putting the site out, we'll be, God, we, we still need to like kind of prioritize what happens after we put the site out. We've gotten a lot of requests for, um, getting in on, on beer coin. So check your emails for that probably happen in the next few weeks. I think, um, mm-hmm. more things to come. We'll, I think at some point we'll probably put like a public list of in order, like what we're working on just to, if, if you guys want that to keep up to date with that. That'd be cool. Yeah. And we need to take advantage of that discord we created too. I don't know how yeah. we're going to do that yet, but we have a discord. 
I guess I don't know if we should be announcing it or not. We're, we we're be, still, we're, this, still figure, we're we're too old to know how shit works, so yeah. um, we're figuring it out. I think once we're at a point where we know how to like moderate a community on Discord, um, yeah, we'll we'll definitely invite. Yeah, we'll definitely invite everyone to that because I think it would be just another fun way to engage with the community. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Hope you enjoyed Jake's conversation with us. Hope you enjoyed the the beers, the, I don't know, what else? That's pretty much it, right? What else? That's we all do? we do, right? Beer and conversation. Beer and conversation. We, got, we, we still got looks, so. Yeah, we're still young and beautiful. So if you want to see more young and beautifulness of our faces. Check, check out our, our OnlyFans. Yeah, OnlyFans. Uh, you know, maybe <laughs> I guess maybe YouTube for the PG version, Beer Mile Media. And that'll that'll do it for today. Adam, enjoy your time on the beaches of Hawaii. I'll be enjoying my time in the mountains of Colorado. <laughs> <You're> and <done. laughs>